so today as we start uh, uh, the word I want to talk to you, uh, we started last week about talking about not so silent night and I want to just share a very simple message with you today about the answer for our chaos. Uh, one of the most well-known Christmas carols we sing during the season is Silent Night. Anybody know that song? And uh, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And uh, we kind of have this idea that, the, you know, that's the way that it's supposed to be, that we are supposed to have just, you know, this kind of silent night. But how many of you know that Jesus was not born on a silent night? Uh, how many of you know there was chaos all around him? Uh, as a matter of fact, he was himself in, in, in chaos. And um, yeah, I, I never understood this, uh, this whole uh, concept of when it says round yon virgin. Anybody ever thought about round yon virgin? Isn't that a kind of an insult to call Mary round? I mean, uh, um, but, but that's not really what it, what it is. And if you just look at it and kind of, we don't speak that kind of Elizabethan English. But really what it means, it means around young Mary. And uh, of course she was young. And it doesn't mean that Mary was round. When I was younger, I always thought, man, I mean, we sing about Mary being so round. But it's not about the roundness of Mary. It's about the surroundings of Mary. And, uh, and it talks about the surroundings of Mary are really, you know, just really uh, peaceful. And uh, these words were written uh, by an Austrian uh, many years ago, I think in 1818, as um, uh, right after a, a service, he was walking back. Uh, he just felt, you know, the Lord tell him, you know, to just kind of take the long way. And it took a long way in Austria. And he was overlooking the city uh, during the season. And as he was overlooking the city, the lights were just shining. And it was just such a peaceful thing. And the snow was there. And, and he wrote the song. His name was Joseph Moore. And he wrote this, uh, of course, wrote it in German. And then it was translated by John F. Young uh, as kind of a silent night. And so it's a great song. And I know we love it. But I think it only tells one part of the story and uh, not give us the right perspective or it causes us to think that unless during the season we have a silent night Christmas, we are so far away from what we need when we really the exact opposite is true. Jesus was not born on a silent night. He was born on a busy night. He was born on a working night, a traveling night, a stressful night, a confusing night. Does it sound familiar? Uh, we have no room for you night. An inconvenient night, a people are looking for you night, a conspiring night, a fearful night, an unholy night, a jealous night, a disturbed night, an angry night, a you better get it done night, a murderous plot night. Jesus was born on you better take your care of your civil responsibility night. And Jesus was born on a you can't stay home tonight. I, I could go on, but I think you get the point. And maybe you say, Henny, you're messing with my Christmas story. That's the point. I'm trying to mess with your Christmas story. And I want you to go with me. And we're going to read a couple of long passages in, in Luke chapter 2. Uh, just look at, look at this in verse 1. Notice what it says. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now notice everybody had to travel. People had to register. There's civic duty involved in this process. And Mary is about to give birth. She had, she had to go. How many of you know that's very inconvenient? She couldn't just stay so, uh, because the Roman Empire decreed a census and there's no choice in the matter. You have to do this. It's an inconvenient time set in motion by the brutal ruling empire and there's nothing silent about that. Uh, we paint this picture of Mary, you know, kind of riding on a donkey and just having a, a little song and just a sweet lullaby. Uh, ladies, could you agree with me that if you're riding on the back of a donkey and you are about eight and a half months pregnant, that that's not a fun adventure you would look forward to? Uh, now, the men, you might say, well, you know, it's not too bad because you have no idea, sucker, because you never carried anything in your life. And you've, you've never gone through it. And that's why, I, you know, I honestly believe women are way tougher than men. And if you're a real man, you'll say amen to that. I mean, women are tough. If I had to give birth, we'll have no children. Guess what? It'll be end. No, we, ain't, we ain't procreating. That's the way it's going to be. You ain't touching me, sucker. That's the way it is. I mean, she's not, you know, singing a, a nice lullaby here. I'm riding on my donkey. I'm having a great time. Bumping as we go along. Bump, 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 bump. She didn't feel that way. The direct distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem as the crow flies is about 70 miles. Uh, the shortest route to Bethlehem was directly south through Samaria, uh, but it's a hilly terrain which would have proven particularly arduous for Mary was in the late stages of her pregnancy. Uh, other factors in avoiding that route were the hostile Samaritans within that region who could have posed a threat uh, to two travelers traveling alone and, and the knowledge that it would be difficult uh, for them to find lodging along the way. It's believed that Mary and Joseph chose a safer route, a little bit more comfortable route, than took them southeast to the Jezreel Valley and further east to the Jordan Valley. And continuing south to Jericho, they probably proceeded up through the, through the Judean desert to Jerusalem and onward to Bethlehem. By the end of their difficult trek, the couple would have traveled more than 90 miles. And much of that distance through very difficult terrain. And opinions differ on how many days it took Mary and Joseph. Some scholars believe it took between four days or, or a few more. Others believe that it took about a week and a half. Now, a week and a half walking, a week and a half on the back of a donkey, being eight and a half weeks pregnant, that's not a silent night, holy night. She was not singing that song. And, uh, I mean, imagine in the conversation, you know, that Mary has with Joseph. Hey, Joseph, do we have any reservations? Well, I'm a descendant of King David and I have relatives. But when they get there, the other relatives already occupied the place that they needed to occupy. And there was no room for them except a stable. If you think that's welcoming, I don't think. Basically, it's a basement hewn out of a rock where the animals were kept. So the only thing we have for you is where the other animals are. You know, is there, is there anything silent about that? Is there anything holy about that? That's stressful. That's, there's no room for you. That's downright unwelcoming and is borderline unkind. You know, it is, you know, you, yeah, we don't care if you're nine months pregnant. We, we don't care if you're about to pop. You go over there where the animals are. We have no room for you. Notice also it's a working night. The shepherds are on guard, duty on the hills. It's a working night. It's a, it's a frightful night as heaven suddenly interrupts the night shift and uh, the, with heavenly singing. And again, there's no silence about that. 
Now, meanwhile, uh, several months later, during this pe- uh, season, uh, the, uh, we pick up that there's a hole, the plot is thickening on the other side of the town. Why? More travelers arrive. The problem with them is their navigation system broke down, and that's why we know they were wise men, not wise women, because they would not ask for directions. Uh, and they land up in Jerusalem. And they're, they're not, you know, that's not the place where they're supposed to be, but they land up in Jerusalem and more, tra- more people traveling far away places on this not-so-silent season. Notice with me in Matthew 2, verse 1 to 8. Watch what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign, this is important to note, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. And by the way, th- these were not just three men, okay? The, the, this, was a, a, this was a party. This was a group of people asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now watch this. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting. When you disturb, you call a meeting, right? Of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and ask, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruler cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting. Now he's really getting, you know, he has a meeting and then he has a private meeting. How many of you know, if you're really worried, you have a private meeting? He's called, okay, you guys out, I want to now have a private meeting with the wise men and then learn from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and kill him too. No, so I can go and worship him too. After the wise men were gone, verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with a child and his mother. Is anybody noticing the theme that is coming through through the story? Now the angel appears and the angel says, you got to get up, you got to flee, you got to run. This doesn't look to me like silent night. Are you with me? I mean, this is is not a silent time. The angel says, stay there until I tell you when to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with a child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious. When he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Notice during this period of time, a a disturbed madman, a jealous, insecure king, a night of private meetings, a night of concocted evil plans, a a night of murderous ambition, a political agenda, anger, evil, malice, cruel intent, and soldiers with marching orders to kill. This, my friend, is the other side of science. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Maybe you say, Any, you're kind of depressing me. Well, that's kind of what I'm trying to do because uh, the fact of the matter is we spend so much time in looking at our lives and looking at the chaos and looking at the confusion, especially at a time like this, and we feel that if we're going through a chaos, if we're going through confusion, if we're going through all the stuff and all the stuff that's happening to us and all the stuff that's happening around us and all the stuff that's happening in our world, we feel that God is absent. But I cannot tell you something that is the furthest from the truth. Because here's what God does. He steps into our chaos. The first thing I want you to understand, this, the, uh, the lesson that we learn is that God sends Jesus into your chaos. I love that. 
I love in the midst of all this confusion. I love in the midst of all this trouble. I love in the midst of all this murdering plots, of all the stuff that's going on. What does God do? God sends Jesus in the midst of that. Look at Romans 8.31 out of the message translation. I love this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate, somebody say didn't hesitate. Watch this. To put everything on the line for us, embracing our what? Embracing our what? Condition and exposing himself to the what? The worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else that he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? The message is that God sends Jesus in the midst of the most chaotic season that you can imagine. And if God has done that, don't you think that he wants to step in in your season of chaos, in your season of disturbedness, in your season of confusion, in your season of not understanding what's going on? God sends Jesus into the world that is chaotic. A world that's out of order, a world that is dysfunctional, filled with bad, filled with responsibilities and and, and, and duty, work and travel, you name it, and it's there. You see, the point is God can take your not-so-silent season. God can take your not-so-holy season. God can take all of the bad, all of the ugly, all of the wrong, all of the indifferent, all of the chaos, and you know what He does. If you're willing to receive it, He brings the good news in the midst of your chaos. He brings the good news in the midst of your confusion. That's what God does. Look at this. Look at the the message that he sends when he proclaims it to the shepherds. Watch this. But the angels reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. Watch this. I bring you what kind of news? Good news that will bring what? Great joy to whom? To all people. The good news I have for you today is the fact that God can and will bring good out of your chaos. You just have to let him. Here's the second truth that I believe is very important to grasp. And, and, you know, we say, okay, great, God's going to do that. But how does God do it? God sends his deliverance in the most unlikely package. God sends his deliverance in the most unlikely package. I I love this in Luke 2 verse 5. I I, I think sometimes we read it, but we don't really get it. Watch this. He he took with him Mary's fiancé. He was now obviously pregnant. And watch this. And while they were there, the time came for her baby. Somebody say baby. Baby. Say it again. Baby. Baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. God sends his love in the most unlikely package. When the world is looking for answers, he sends a baby. When the world is looking for peace, he sends a baby. When the world needs comfort, he sends a baby. When the world is seeking for wisdom, he sends a baby. When the world is chaotic and inconvenient and things are out of place and people are out of place, he sends a baby. God becoming flesh, the answer lying in a manger, the Savior born in a rock-hewn cave, a baby? Really, God, a baby? Yes. We would prefer what? We would prefer a king. We would prefer an army. We would prefer a mighty force. I mean, things are bad. What can a baby do? You see, one of the most profound thoughts of this Christmas is the fact that for God, a baby is all he needs. And not like, unlike our culture, the world has barely room for God's package of deliverance when he sends it. 
I love this. Uh, uh, this is in one of the devotions for growing strong in the seasons of life written by Chuck uh, Charleston Dwall. And let me just read it to you. I love it. It says, who would have cared about the birth of a baby? While the world was watching Rome and all of its splendor, bounded on the west by the Atlantic, on the east by the Euphrates, and on the north by the Rhine and the Danube, and on the south by the Sahara Desert, the Roman Empire was as vast as it was vicious. Political intrigue, racial tension, increased immorality, and enormous military might. Does this sound familiar? Occupied everyone's attention and everyone's conversation. Palestine existed under the crush of Rome's heavy boot. All eyes were on Augustus. The cynical Caesar was demanding a census so that as to determine a measurement to enlarge taxes at that time. Who was interested in the couple making a a 90-mile trek south from Nazareth? What could possibly be more important than Caesar's decision in Rome? Who cared about a Jewish baby that would be born in Bethlehem? Guess who cared? God did. Without realizing it, mighty Augustus was only an errand boy for the fulfillment of Micah's prediction, a paw in the hand of Jehovah, a piece of lint on the pages of prophecy. While Rome was busy making history, God arrived and he pitched his fleshly tent in the silence on a straw, on straw in a stable under a star. The world didn't even notice. Reeling from the wake of Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Augustus the Great, the world overlooked Mary's little lamb. I want you to understand, don't overlook what God is sending because God might send your answer in a package that you do not even appreciate. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.25. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness. Somebody say weakness. Say it again. God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. If the Christmas story doesn't tell you that, nothing else will. Because about five miles to the south, north in Jerusalem, was the very evil King Herod that was ruling. his, His life had been filled with assassinations, with murders, with violent revenge. When he was just a child, he was, he was permitted to personally execute the man who killed his father. By 37 BC, Herod had used political pressure to get Rome to declare him king of the Jews. To protect his title and the power he exercised over the Jewish uh, 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 territories, he did a whole bunch of stuff. Let me just tell you a few things that this sucker did. He had 45 Hasmonean priests just murdered and killed. He killed his wife, Mariami, soon after they got married. I guess he didn't like the honeymoon, all right? He even had his wife's mother executed for conspiracy. Now, don't get ideas about your mother-in-law, but that's what he did. He feared that his brothers might become competitors, so guess what he did? He killed them too. He murdered Costabar, a governor that he himself had appointed. And just prior to these events in Matthew, he killed his own son, Alexander, and he was suspected in the death of his other son, Aristobulus, who died in a questionable bathtub drowning. Now, who's going to protect the Christ child from this madman? Why would God send Jesus during the reign of this power-hungry, win-at-all-cost, protect-your-throne your lunatic that has nothing but murder on his mind? A baby of all things, small, vulnerable, innocent, defenseless, a baby needing help. This baby can't feed itself, can't clothe itself, or even utter a word to protect itself. A baby God. Don't, don't get this idea that Jesus was floating up and down when he was a baby. Are you with me, somebody? He was vulnerable. He needed to be fed. He needed to be taken care of. He cried. He pooped his diapers. Are, are you there, somebody? A baby in a ruthless kill and be killed world. You see, that is exactly the point. 
God's weakness is greater than any man's strength, even if that man in power is filled by a demonic agenda. God does not need an army to overcome. He can use a baby. If all the power on earth, no matter how great, whether Rome or religion could not touch a baby, how can anything overcome our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords? Because we will soon learn that not even death could keep this baby down. You see, God becoming man in the form of a baby is the greatest sign that he is the great I am. God becoming flesh, deity taking on humanity, God becoming human, Emmanuel, God amongst us. For unto us is born in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. You see, we miss it. Why? Because so many missed it except the shepherds and later the wise men. You see, you could not find a greater gap between these two groups of people. Shepherds were seen as the lowest of the low, and yet they were the ones that provided the lambs for sacrifice. And it was to them that the angels revealed that the sacrificial lamb was born in Bethlehem. It is the shepherds that hear the news first, and it's the shepherds that proclaim the news first. God revealing himself to the lonely and to the humble. What is the lesson about the shepherds? This is, this is what you need to learn. Humbly receive him as the lamb born to take away your sin. I love this in Luke 2 verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby. I love that. A Savior is born and guess what? And guess what? You're going to find it as a baby. I love it. What's the lesson? You've got to humbly receive him. Then the lesson of the wise men, here's the lesson of the wise men, write this in. Diligently seek him no matter what the cost. Look at this, Matthew 2, verse, verse uh, uh, 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. During the reign of King Herod, the wise men traveled over 800 miles through the desert and danger to come to Jerusalem. Now, folks, let's put this in perspective. How many of you understand when you talk about them traveling 800 miles, that does not compare to us traveling today 800 miles? There's no paved roads there. There's no airplane. You don't, I mean, you, you complain about the TSA. Can I tell you something? You would gladly go through the process of the TSA and get on an airplane and fly than having to go through what they've gone through for 800 miles, riding stinky camels, you know, and, and, and through great peril, and, 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 and there's a lot of danger out there. The Magi seeking the truth. And here's what I want you to get. They were men of science, men that studied the stars. And they came because when the baby was born, they saw a star, and despite the risk, they kept seeking and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, the star they saw in the east reappeared and led them to the house that Jesus was in. You say, Henny, what is the lesson? We have to seek him no matter what the cost. You see, if you see, if you say this morning, maybe watching online or maybe you're here today and you're kind of, well, I'm an intellectual, then I want you to know if you see yourself as wise and you see yourself as an intellectual, then you make sure you check out for yourself Mary's little lamb. Make sure you truly seek out what is the truth with an open mind and an open heart and let truth be your guide, not opinion be your guide. You find just like the Magi that no matter what the cost, in the end, it will be worth it. Even when you risk your own reputation and your own life, you'll find that he will guide you safely to him and he will guide you safely home. 
Look at this. I, I love this in, in Matthew 2, verse 10 and 12. Watch what it says. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Thank you. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now notice it's, it's the, the, the reference here is a child. So we know that this is now a season later. It's not a baby. Jesus now referred to as a child. So we know that this is months and months later. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God revealing himself to the lowly and to the educated, to the humble and to the great. God speaks your language if you're willing to listen. God can communicate to you today whether you say, well, I don't know much, I'm not that, ve- I'm not that smart, then guess what? He will reveal himself to you. And if you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm very intellectual, I'm a, I'm a very thoughtful person, you know, I like to work things out in my brain, then guess what? God will communicate to you on that level as well. God speaks your language. Now, now for you and me, you say, what does all of this mean? Well, here's what it means. We feel the pressure of life and living. Has anybody ever felt that Christmas is really full of pressure? And there's just, there's a whole lot of stuff. We enjoy the season, but, you know, we just, we just don't get it. Uh, but I, I want you to understand the message to us is, is that this baby that was born in a cave would end up in a tomb hewn out of rock. But just like Herod couldn't kill him, and Egypt couldn't keep him, and Nazareth could not contain him, death could not hold him. The cross was the price so that we, the guilty, can go free, so that we, the bound, can be delivered, so that we, the busy, could find peace, so that we, the unholy, could be made holy, so that we, the unrighteous, could be made righteous. So this Christmas, when you think of that silent night season, remember, it was not so silent night, it was not so holy, but God breaks into the unholy season and makes it into a silent night and into a holy night. You have to allow him to break into your busyness, to break into your chaos, to break into the hecticness of the season. And you have to allow him to do what only he can do. See, for us, it's exactly the same. We've got presents to buy. We have people to feed. We, we have parties to go to. We have, we have relatives to travel to or relatives to welcome that sometimes we don't even like. We have people, you know, uh, you, you get down to the store. You get on the road. And what do people do? People show you that you're number one. They get upset. People get angry. A- a- am I right? We fight the crowds. We, we say, okay, I'm going to go to the mall early. We get to the mall. There's already a line. They're like, oh my goodness, I thought I was here early. We fight the crowds. We hustle. We are busy. We are hectic. And for many of us, we miss out on what was provided for us. God shows up when we least expect it. And this Christmas, we have to allow him to show up and give us the greatest gift of all. That is his joy in the midst of the chaos that you are experiencing. In the midst of the busyness, in the midst of all of this, take a moment and slow down and sit down. And if I can say these kind words and shut up and listen a little bit and understand what God wants to do in your life and lead you into that which you need above all else. You need the Prince of Peace to give you the peace you need. I love in Luke 1, 78, I love the prophecy of Zechariah and I'll close with this. 
It says this, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Listen, to do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Wow. He wants to bring light to your darkness, to your confusion, to those of us who are held down by the shadow of death. He wants to break into that and produce life. And he wants to guide us to the path of peace. Not a peace like the world gives, but a peace that surpasses all of the busyness. A peace that's not just a calm. A peace that's not just all the situation around me is is fine because the, the circumstance around me is great. Therefore, it is great. No. It is in the midst of the confusion. It's in the midst of everything you see on Facebook. It's in the midst of everything people are tweeting on Twitter, the bunch of twits, and they're tweeting it. And, and, and it, it, it's in the midst of all that. It's in the midst of all the voices. It's in the midst of all the chaos. It's in the midst of all the tension. It's in the midst of all the anger. It's in the midst of all the confusion. It's in the midst of all the opinions. It's in the midst of all the lines being drawn. But I'm on this side and I'm on that side. But that's what I'm for and that's what I'm against. And I'm shouting for this and I'm shouting for that. It's in the midst of all of that. This Christ child wants to walk in and say, let me give you what you need more than anything else. Let me give you my peace. Because when you have my peace, you'll find that nothing else matters. Nothing else is needed. There's not another gift that needs to be bought to satisfy the hunger of consumerism. Because the gifts we buy this year will be obsolete by the end of January. I found that out when we bought nice gifts for our kids one year. And they played more with the boxes than they played with the toys. We had, it took me hours to put stuff together. And I'm like, get on it. And, oh, I don't want that. I'm on the box. And so I had to make holes in the box because then we had to build a fort. I, 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 told, I told Pastor Manor, why didn't we just go to the back trash yard and just get a bunch of boxes, wrap them, and say, here you go. Merry Christmas. Saved us a lot of money. The need that drives us to places we don't want to end up. But the peace he gives us is what we really need. That's what we need today. And above all, maybe you're a shepherd today and you say, well, Henny, I'm not that bright. Don't worry, neither am I. Maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm really educated. I'm a really smart person. I really have to check out things. Absolutely. You do that. Because when you start inspecting the lamb for yourself... When you start looking at Jesus for who he is, you'll find out he's more than enough and he's more than able. And he will satisfy the longing in your soul and bring you to that place of peace. Let's bow our heads this morning. and Let me pray with you and for you.